It's a great pleasure for me to introduce Peter this afternoon. A little bit of background on Peter, and a lot of which I'm sure he will share and then further embellish as, uh, as he speaks to us. He's an IT professional, very much a visionary and an entrepreneur. Uh, spent time working in Hewlett-Packard initially, then Ingram Micro, and then in around about the year 2000, he founded a business called The Cavalry, which is basically an IT services business. Now, Pete can tell you the story in the coffee break about how this business started initially in his mother's kitchen and um, has grown to be uh, a very successful and fast-growing IT business uh, that is now servicing clients across Australia and various other parts of the world. Uh, the vision for Cavalry is to reimagine the potential of IT as a key driver for innovation and growth. Um, Cavalry have received a swag of awards, including uh, the 2017 Microsoft, Microsoft Inspire. They're a global finalist for customer experience. Uh, in the APAC CIO, they were in one of the top 25 promising Asia-Pacific cloud companies. And in 2014 and 2015, one of the top 200 IT managed service firms worldwide and various other awards and accolades. So this is a really successful business and it's growing very fast. Peter is also the founder of a group called 100X, and some of you will be aware of 100X, and Pete will share with us some elements of that. 100X is a remarkable movement, and it is a movement, but it's basically a community of thought leaders, entrepreneurs, and business leaders with a passion for living beyond themselves and creating a lasting legacy. And so Peter's gonna share some of his heart with us around those things. A few other details for Peter that he may or may not um, embellish. Um, don't mess with this guy. He's uh, got several, uh, I don't know if it's black belts, or karate, hapkido, and more recently, Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Um, all of which were used to good effect earlier this year in Las Vegas. So um, that's another story that Peter can tell you. Uh, Peter is Anglican by tradition, but charismatic by nature and charismatic by heart. And Pete currently attends Hillsong Church at Warringah in Sydney. And... Uh, and it's been a, a fantastic journey for Pete uh, to be a part of that community that's there. Uh, Peter's engagement with us in World Vision has been um, a really rich part of the journey. Pete travelled to Israel last year with uh, a group of folks from Australia and also Chris Clark, who's the, uh, who's the former CEO from World Vision New Zealand. And a few days into the trip, Chris Clark did text me and say, Ross, you should have warned me about Pete. Um, <laughs> but uh, anyway, Pete's been... Um, been able to observe our work in some very complex parts of the world. Uh, through cavalry and the business, they're currently engaging in uh, supporting our work in Sri Lanka. And that, again, that's been a really rich part of engagement with Pete. But as a customer and as a supporter, we're just so delighted that Pete is here this afternoon to share with us some elements of his heart, his vision, but also to be a critical friend. And um, there's been great insights in terms of Pete's own experience, his own journey in business, and particularly understanding what's happening around the journey of customer experience and customer support. Pete is incredibly well placed to, um, to share his heart and insights with us. Um, I'm really honored to call Pete friend. Uh, for many, many years, we kicked around the northern beaches and had very many um, um, surfing and windsurfing <laughs> adventures or aspirations. Jeez. And uh, it's just really delightful to welcome Pete with us this afternoon. So please join me in welcoming Pete. Nice intro, mate. <laughs> Good to see you. Hey, thanks so much uh, for having me. It's such an honour to be here on this special day. And I thought Ross said something interesting, which was, um, you know, introduce yourself, say where you're from, and that type of thing. So this actually took me just then to when I was in third grade primary school. And we had a substitute teacher. And, you know, she's teaching, and I'm talking, and everyone's talking, and she says, your accent is amazing. And she's like, 
where are you from? And I'm like, um, across the road. <laughs> and then she goes, no, 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 before that. And I said, Parramatta. <laughs> and then finally she said, no, no, where are your parents are from? Are from? I wish I could say Ballarat, but I unfortunately had to say China. Um, so, hey, thanks, Ross, for that um, introduction. I'm glad Ross called me a friend from his side, because if he didn't, I was going to dish out a whole bunch of dirt, much to your amusement. Um, I've always enjoyed my engagements with World Vision, and, um, yeah, my, my, I guess one of my early engagements uh, in the more recent times was the trip last year to Israel. And it was amazing to see the work that World Vision did, um, and in terms of the relationships that I had a part of forming and seeing there, and look, it's a fairly unique part of the world, was spectacular. Um, Ross mentioned Chris Clark, he's a pretty good bloke for a Kiwi. Um, and I think when, um, you know, Chris did say, why didn't you warn me about your mate Fatty? I think Ross's reply was, ah, Fatty, here's a special one. <laughs> so I'm taking special as a good thing right now, so I hope I'm in good company. You're in your day two of a significant time, a, a leadership um, off-site where you've got a time to work on things and away from the distractions of, of what goes on. Um, and in one sense, what you're trying to do is simple. You know, you, what, what, what you want to do is simple, but it's never easy. And I want to come here, I guess, in that state where I, I want to say I recognise that and want to say that I'm here to give my 100%. Everything here within me, the prep that I've done, looking at myself in the mirror talking, um, <laughs> has been done so where I want to give my best to you. So I want you to know um, our heart. Um, Ross mentioned some of the 100X team that have flown down from Sydney. I want to say I'm the only one with a pure heart because they are only here for Chin Chin and the Feed Me menu. <laughs> so they're not as nice as you think. Um, but yeah, there's a term in business or, or, or going around in, in, in corporate leadership where it says, what are the three characteristics of a team that's going to help drive change and make things happen? And they say it's humble, hungry, smart. And I want to say in the interactions that I've had with World Vision, I've seen that. Humility is the ability to hear. It's the ability to be challenged on preconceptions in order to pivot to achieve what you want to achieve, or to achieve why you believe you're here on this planet. Hungry. Hungry that you want to make a change. Hungry in understanding that life is too short to be caught up in our own insecurities, our own failings, our own refusal to change habits. And smart. You know, if you look at a values triangle of um, what makes a good team, you've got your values up here, do your job well, and help us improve. If you don't bring your smart, if you don't bring your discretionary effort, then the best you're going to be able to do is live your values and do your job well. But you need discretionary effort to help things improve. And I know that's what you guys want to do. And at 100X, we espouse to those same type of values. We want to live those types of values. And I firmly believe that every resource you need is going to come through relationship. And every resource that you need to pass through is going to go through relationship. So hopefully 100X, like you, is humble, hungry, smart, 
We want to see the world change. We want to live the destiny that we believe has been put upon our lives. That change that is going to need to happen is going to happen through partnership. So we are firm partners with you because together we leave our legacy. So I want to kind of start with that and say we are big fans on you. There might be a temporary World Vision tattoo somewhere on my body, um, but we're big fans. Do you like that pregnant pause as I get my clicker going? We live in a world of change, a world where the largest taxi company in the world doesn't own a car, the largest accommodation provider in the world doesn't own a property, and a time where governments are no longer willing to play the moral police force. And so with that and other reasons, uh, support for humanitarian projects are dropping. And when there's a wind of change through an, organize, uh, through an industry, it's the startups that get excited. Because the startups are going to go, I'm going to ride this wind of change and it's going to help me disrupt the established players. The established players have a much more difficult challenge because they've got existing teams, people and processes that they all need to pivot in order to adjust to the change. And at such times, it's easy and fair to think about the old days or how things were done because they're good days. This is a conversation based on good things. It's easy to get nostalgic. And nostalgic comes from a Greek word which literally means the pain from an old wound. It's the twinge in your heart that is more powerful than the memory itself. And it's important, it's necessary, but we must take care that the nostalgia does not block us from seeing the opportunities that lie ahead. You guys know this company, and once upon a time, when we said a Kodak moment, it used to be about savouring and saving a memory. Now when people say Kodak moment, it is, here's a corporate lesson on what not to do. A company more than 100 years old with an experience in print. And did they not see digital disruption? It's easy in retrospect. The first digital camera was invented in 1975 by a guy called Scott Sasson. He was a talented engineer and he worked for a company called Kodak. When he took the digital camera to his leadership team, his leadership team responded, that's cute but don't tell anybody. Now, it would be tempting to go, here's this massive organisation with a big history, did you not see the digital disruption? And that quote might make you think they just buried their heads in the sand, but it's not quite true. Kodak invested significant resources, time and talent to adjust for digital disruption. In 2001, before a single code of Mark Zuckerberg has been written for Facebook, Kodak acquired a digital sharing site called Ophoto. Now imagine if in their time that Kodak lived their vision statement, which was sharing life, sharing memories. Could they have not taken that digital photo sharing program so you could comment on it, put news feeds on it, put articles, post photos? Sound familiar? Kodak did something. But doing something and doing the right thing is different. And as you face winds of change 
and questions of what to do, the clarity and the nuance to know what to do will become clearer as long as you keep asking questions of possibility. What if? How? Once questions or statements are fixed like, we don't do that, we can't do that, we need to be careful because we can close off our minds to possibility. Kodak saw digital disruption, but they wanted to use the site to sell their traditional print, and that wasn't going to happen. They didn't realise that digital media was the change in itself. So what are the potential opportunities that might sit before World Vision today? This picture in splashback captures much of our heart at 100x. We see a world of tremendous opportunity. I believe that my best days are ahead of me, not behind me. I believe that the best days for you individually and an organisation are in front of you and not behind you. There is no guarantee of success, but there is a guarantee how you engage in that world. Tremendous opportunity. So let's look at some things, quick few things I might have thought about and I'm just, I'm, I'm not, I don't see everything you see. But the millennials, the largest workforce, the largest component of the work, available workforce, are more likely to work for values-based organisations today than any other workforce before. They put less money on, less, less emphasis on money than they do on values. The quest for the best talent looks like it's going to swing more to an organisation like World Vision. In any maturing market, there are fewer and larger players. As the space that you operate has matured, more cooperation has happened with the larger players and governments that is not available to the smaller players. There is a unique position that you guys have. And I also see a tremendous opportunity for witness. As governments give less humanitarian aid, I see a great opportunity for faith-based organisations to take that gap. And I'm going to love saying, well, in terms of what do we do and what do we believe in and what's the evidence of it? Let's look at what's happening with humanitarian aid. These are faith-based organisations that are investing in change for the future. So this passage of scripture, I hope, is relevant for you. Where do you find yourself? We find ourselves standing where we always hoped we might stand. We are in the exact place where we should be, out in the wide open spaces of God's grace and glory. We're standing tall and we're shouting praise. But there's more to come. We continue to shout our praise even when we're hemmed in with troubles because we know how troubles can develop passionate patience in us and how that patience in turn forges the tempered steel of virtue, keeping us alert for whatever God does next. Can you see the resolution in praise? Regardless of circumstance, I am resolute and I know that my good days are ahead. And I want to impress upon you that your good days are ahead. Because there's a term and it says it's no longer the big that beat the small. It's the fast that beat the slow. And another way of putting that, it is those that are flexible that beat the inflexible. And breaking that down, big does not equal slow and small does not equal fast. If I said to you a corporate brand name like Telstra, 
Maybe you might have memories and, you know, you might think words like bureaucratic or, you know, there were some cliches to go, oh, well, I called a Telstra call centre and then, you know, next year I had my birthday. <laughs> but if I said to you the corporate brand name Google, what do you think? I think innovation. I don't think bureaucratic. I think here's an organisation that's now investing in driverless cars. I think how they're going to be infusing so much more of what we do today. And Google is significantly larger than Telstra. So can I suggest to you as you open to these winds of change, don't identify yourself as big or small. Identify yourself as agile, as customer-focused. Because just back on that slide, right, the, the reason why the Agile win, it's the ability to pivot that leads to success. Life and business is not running a straight line. Life is messy. Things happen. Markets change. Governments reduce funding. New competitors come up. What our customers desire, want, uh, want change. It's our ability to pivot and to shift that's going to lead us to success. So that's the first thing that I wanted to, I guess, share an insight on was on personal and corporate change. The next thing I want to talk about is customer experience. And I want to talk about it for two reasons. It's a key market force that impacts for-profit, not-for-profit, government and NGO. A Walker study said by 2020, the key driver for customer selection or a product or service will be customer experience. People will start deciding who they link up with not because of the product itself, not because of the cost itself, because of the customer experience they get. An example that's, um, that might be familiar to some of you would be Toyota and Lexus. And when Lexus was launched, the difference in the product wasn't that much different. And I know some of you inside today say there's still not much difference between a Toyota and Lexus. But they did distinguish on customer service. And my understanding is today, even if I have a Lexus today and I want my car serviced, they will drive someone to my house to take the car to get it serviced, and when the car's serviced, they'll bring it back. Contrast that to Mazda, who launched their luxury brand at the same time, Unos, and they focused on product and price, but not customer experience or CX. But what does customer experience mean? You know, when most people think about customer experience, they'll have this type of value statement written up. We create raving fans. And it's written on the chalkboard like that, because in our office we've got a chalkboard and it used to say, we create raving fans. It sounds good, doesn't it? We are going to look after our customers in such a way that they rave about us and tell 10 other people and then, you know what, oh, look, go away, customers, I'm too busy. <laughs> Wouldn't that be great? But what did that actually practically look like? It looked like this. We would say to our team, the only way... Well, let me go back, I'll tell you one other story bit about me, because I like talking about me. Um, I'm married to my wife, Claire, who I call my hot bibby. <laughs> I know how to make her a raving fan. It goes something like this. It's, the morning starts, there's freshly brewed coffee. The kids have already been taken off to my parents' place to be babysat. And I've come in with the first little envelope, which is going to take her on a little treasure hunt around Sydney. And in this little treasure hunt, there's going to be little surprises like, here's a whole bunch of money to go spend at your favourite store, or go to this hotel and I'll meet you up for dinner. It's going to be this awesome little place, and it ends with a 
hotel city stay and her staring into my eyes over dinner. She would be a raving fan. I have done that once. <laughs> she raved. And whilst it's great for special occasions, it's unrealistic and expensive in the day-to-day. -day. And it makes you the focus, not the customer. Because I'm on the stage, not my customer. I'm talking about me, and you're going to be a raving fan of me, not talking about the customer. Practically, for our business, it meant we'd say to the guys, you've got to do the unexpected, because when you do the unexpected, that's when they'll become raving fans. So I know the scope of work says this, but do this. That actually caused confusion with our customers. Because it would be, hey, can you fix XYZ? I'm sorry, that's out of scope. Well, Bob did that for me last month. Why won't you? Or we were doing things that we weren't good at doing, but we were doing our best efforts to do because we were nice guys and then failing, and then the customer's upset, and we're going, we shouldn't have done it anyway. We didn't charge you for it, and now you're upset with us. And for our team, they were extremely confused because they didn't know how much to give. How much over and above were they allowed to give? And I think it stopped when they gave away my car or my dog. So, okay, we've got to stop this customer experience thing. <laughs> so we changed our value from we create raving fans to this. We deliver what we promise and we create happy customers. We came out with an integrity play. And that is, we will tell you what we're about. We, we will be very clear what we do do, what we don't do. If there's a failing, we'll be very quick to say where our failings are. But when we make our commitment, we will work hard to deliver on our commitment to you. And if you do that, we're happy. That kind of came in through that, but the challenge is, is do you really know what your customer wants? Customer experience is not saying yes to every request. Because then you've got no vision. And if you've got no vision, no one's going to follow you. You've got to be clear on what you say. And so um, it's not just saying yes, 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 because your yes means you're going to have to say no somewhere else. So clear about what you provide and what it's about, and that takes time. You'll see here, this is the last, from 2009 to 2016, stock prices of Amazon, Apple, Facebook, and Google. There's another company at the top there that has clearly outperformed those four big juggernauts that we know so well. Does anyone want to have a guess what the name of that company is? Netflix. Not Netflix, Uber. not Uber, or te not technology. You ate some of their product today. Dominoes. Who would have thought? Now, I don't know about you, but I've got memories of growing up, and when we had cheap and nasty pizza, it was Pizza Hut. And Domino's was the challenger. And they first challenged each other on price. And around the corner from me was this main road that we'd sometimes pass by, and there was a Pizza Hut on one side, and opposite there was a Domino's. The price got down to like $2.95 a large pizza. Okay? Now you think, this is awesome, everyone's winning. You are not winning when you buy a $2.95 pizza. <laughs> you know? So um, the only pizzas you get are vegetarian because it's not real meat. So no one's winning on price. So then they go, okay, we need to distinguish on something else. So Domino's come out and we go, get your pizza in 30 minutes or it's free. 
Remember that? What did that cause? Logistically to deliver that, you've got lots of drivers. And then what does that cause? Something that was made to make customers happy, make them angry, because I placed that order and you are late and you are not giving me a refund. And so then the management team goes, okay, we're gonna penalize the drivers if they're late. So then the driver starts going, well, I'm gonna miss that one by five minutes, I might as well miss it by two hours and then hit all my other deliveries. Causes immense problem. So then Domino's pivot again. And then what they do is, when you place your order now, we'll tell you where the pizza is in the cooking cycle. You know, we'll follow the cooking cycle. Now they've got it super dialed. We're gonna GPS track this pizza to your door and we're gonna give you the name of the driver because they've understood the customer. It's more important for the customer to know when that pizza's coming than it is to go, I'm gonna make sure I'm gonna get it within 30 minutes. Why? Think about it. It's Friday night, I'm at home, I'm tired, kids are watching TV, pizza's here, dinner's here, and I've gotta repeat that process to get them off the TV maybe to eat. I can give them the warning, pizza's coming in five minutes, like I'm gonna get a warning here if I talk too long, five minutes, two minutes, you know. <laughs> It's, it's coming, and so they knew their customer. And there's, there's other examples of do you truly understand your customer? Can I give you a, one that's a bit off script, but I'll give you another example. Um, so a friend of mine was consulting for a large cereal company, and they were super excited about this app they'd developed. And what it was is like, these kids have got it. Parents want their kids to eat their cereal. We're gonna help these kids eat their cereal. So they got a bowl, and you'd fill it up with cereal, and they've got an app and the app can read how much cereal's in the bowl. And as you eat the cereal, it unlocks points for you to play this game. And they've spent a fortune on it, and they're just about to launch it, and my friend goes in and does a consult, and he says, do you really know what your customer wants? You know what the customer says? We don't want our kids saying a long time at the breakfast table. You need to write your app, rewrite the app. You know what the app needs to say? You're gonna get points if you brush your teeth, get your clothes on, have your breakfast, pack your bag, and when you're on the way in the car, it'll unlock all the points, and when you're on the bus, you can play the game then. The app got changed, so do you really know your customer? I hope those little stories are fun and interesting. The last thing I want to leave you is this, a statue of a naked man. <laughs> I hope Ross warned you that I can sometimes let some loose lines out. But amazing, right? One single block of marble, 5.17 metres high, sculpted by Michelangelo somewhere between 1501 and 1504. And the story goes that when Michelangelo is being asked, how did you see David in that block of marble? That Michelangelo would answer, it's easy. I just cut away everything that wasn't David. You know, there's a passage of scripture that says, you're Christ." Masterpiece, created to do good works. And when you're in a time of change, it's tempting to add things. But I'd ask a question, which is, what do you need to cut away to reveal the core essence of who you are individually and as an organisation? Strategy is the art of cutting away. Essentialism is about understanding the core of who you are. It is not noism, it's not inflexibility but it's understanding the core of who you are and having an ability to pivot. If I was to ask you a question, well, a saying, that the world will ask you two questions. Number one, who are you? Number two, what are you doing here? And if you don't have an answer, it's gonna tell you. 
So in your mind there, why do you believe you're here? Why do you believe you live and breathe? What do you believe that God's got you on this planet for? And if you were to mentally start writing that statement out, when you read it, are you a little bit embarrassed? Because it needs to be a little bit embarrassing. Because if it's not, we're just talking about with our own eyes and ears. But if it's true that the exact times and places have been set for us, if it's true that before we were born we were consecrated for a higher purpose, if it's true that we're to work in partnership with the Creator, then there is something in you that's important. And I want to share with you that what you do matters. How you hold yourself matters. When you leave here and you walk out and you work with your relevant teams, it matters. Do you, do you really believe? Let me ask a tough leadership question. Would you follow you? I know who I follow. I follow people that believe, that have got conviction, that can overcome disappointment, that let go of their own selves and fight for a bigger cause. That's who I follow. Would you follow you? Part of 100X, we do consulting with lots of different businesses, and before a business comes on board, I interview them. And I'll say something like, what's your goal for your business? And I'll say something quite typically, which is like, we're not greedy, we don't have big visions, we just want to earn enough for myself and my wife to lead, live fine. And then I go, well, what's the story you're creating for your employees? And then when I say, would you follow you? They go, well, I'm actually not thinking about my team, and no, I wouldn't follow me. So my final point what I want to leave, my encouragement that I want to say, is that what you do matters, how you hold yourself, not just you individually, not just you corporately, your friends and family that you meet. We carry hope. I believe we carry a mission. I love what you guys do. I hope what I've shared today has played a small part in encouraging you and strengthening your resolve to work through what you need to work through. I know that change is simple, but not easy. Um, and I want to commend you for what you do. Um, you're an amazing light. I've loved each interaction I've had with you. So thank you for your time. Thanks so much. Pleasure. Tim. Thanks. Oh, I've got some questions for you, but uh, I don't know where to start. Okay. Is it true about me being an Asian model? That no. wasn't on the top of the you list. You don't want to hear about my Vegas they fight story? Do. You better answer it now. I've got a great now. Vegas fight story. You better answer it now. Really? It's Is a, it true? It, it's true. There you go. Give me a clap, guys. Wow. <laughs> you'll judge me if I tell you the story, so we'll, we'll, we'll do it off mic. <laughs> cool. Um, <laughs> was that some commentary yeah, from the yeah, background? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's my fan. Um, I think the first question I wanted to ask you is, how did you build your belief? How did your career come mm. together so mm. that you believed in what you were put on earth to do? Mm. Can you tell us a little bit about that? 
That is a really good question. Um, and I would say that, um, I don't know, I think it's with you, I think everyone here wants to be used by God in some way, don't you? Like you had some kind, I think that's in part why some of you are here, that you'd go, God, use me. Whatever it takes, whatever it is, God, use me. And um, God cares for people. And, um, you know, I think that then demands things off you to, if you're going to carry that belief because you're going to have to persevere and go for things um, when it might be easier just to go with the flow. Um, so I think I've, I've, I've had that at a young, young age and I've got to say, look, um, you, you quite often feel lonely if you, if, if you have that. Like when I started the business, people weren't going around, great idea, dot-com crash, 2000, great time to start a business. Like, there's, there's no support, there's no support there. That, and, and when 100X got started, it wasn't like people were going around saying, this is a great idea. Um, and so I think um, one of the things I've, I've kind of learnt through that process is that I often speak to entrepreneurs and they're heartbroken because their friends and family don't believe in the vision that they believe they have for their life. Um, and they're really cut up about it because it's so personal for them and then it kind of kills their dream. And the thing that I say to them is say, that's actually a really unfair, to put on, uh, unfair question to put on your friend or family member. Because if vision is something that's tomorrow, it's not here today. So it's not yet real, it's a possibility. And if it's a possibility, you can't see it with eyes. You can only see it with heart. And I have a God, I believe I have a God-given vision for my life. It is not fair that I go to my friend who doesn't know, like he can't see that, and ask him, do you think this is a good idea? So I don't know, I hope that kind of encapsulate mm. that question. But, Thank you. Yeah. Um, we're gonna get into some questions for you mm. at, as a supporter of World Vision, because mm. that's one, mm. also one of the reasons why we wanted to have mm. you here. But I just wanna ask you one question that we've been kind of debating mm -hmm. um, over this last sort of a uh, couple of hours, mm. and it's around being commercial and purpose-led or highly commercial. Mm. We're actually debating around yeah. whether we'd even have the adjective highly. Mm. And I'm just really interested in how you think about that, because mm. clearly you've got a strong purpose, mm. but there's this sort of question around how you, mm. how you do highly commercial at the mm. same time. Yeah. Um, I'm, I believe in that concept of for-profit for good. Um, and just imagine if you're me, I am a passionate Christian. I want to be used by God. I run an IT company. Go find the why in that. <laughs> Seriously, I, it took us a while to try and find the why in that. And I'm going, God, is this really you? What am I learning here? Am I doing anything good? And um, I used to have this notion of, oh, you can't have too much profit from your customers um, because, you know, like, we can give it to them cheaper. And that's been customer-centric. And a mentor said to me that, you know, he, he kind of sat me down and he said, look, margin buys options. And I'm like, yeah, what, what do you mean by that? And he goes, well, here's this engineer here, Rob. If he was to get really, really sick, would you want to support him financially in that time? I go, yeah, I would. And then he looked me in the eye and goes, well, not on 3% margin are you going to do that? Um, so I, I, um, if we didn't have a profitable business, we could not be doing what we're doing with World Vision. Because um, when you don't have margin, the only thing you can look upon is yourself. Oh, I don't have the money for that, I, don't, I can't make this. When, when you've got margin, you can look for opportunities to go, what can we do with that, with that, with that margin? Um, from a supporter's perspective, 
um, and I think maybe from an entrepreneur. An entrepreneur is going to tend to invest in things with, with longevity. And one of the elements of longevity is going to be margin. And so if I see an organisation and it doesn't have margin, then I'm nervous to give because they've got less room to handle governments um, cutting back funds, organisational changes, a disaster. You know, you, you need room. So um, for me, the, the more profitability means more longevity as, as an organisation. Um, so I, I think like that, and I think it would, if you follow that through, it's like there's lots of Christian business people out there, and um, I go, someone's, someone has, this, take it in the right heart, someone's got to be the best, someone's got to be the influencer. And uh, another mentor said to me, the, the world doesn't need more Christian books, it needs more books written by Christians. Let's be the best in arts. Let's be the best in business. Let's apply biblical principles in all we do. Someone's got to speak. You don't have to go onto Facebook. Look at the stuff that's being pushed out as truth. And look at the people following it and being influenced by it. And um, that was one of my sort of motives to get 100x going because I had my own insecurities of, of 100x. And I think whenever you've got a dream on your heart and you're thinking, should I do it? You're going to say to yourself, are you experienced enough? Am I good enough? You know, why should I, you know, you know, is anyone going to listen to me? But that voice that says that, they're going to be the same voices you hear from your critics once you've stepped out. And so here's this world that don't care what other people think, and they're sprouting tripe. And I'm kind of going, well, I'd like to see people with faith-based background to, to make an influence. Don't we want to influence? So influence, I think we've got to get out. And when we influence, we're going to, it's not going to be well received by everybody, you know? And that's what takes the courage. Great, thanks, mm. Peter. Um, so in that context then, mm. what made mm. you choose World Vision over other international development organisations? Mm. It was purely through relationship. Um, and that's just such a massive part of it. So um, one of the guys that worked for World Vision was in our connect group and they heard about 100X and we were looking for someone to partner with and they kind of got us <coughs> connected. And uh, I think I felt that World Vision invested in us before um, we invested in World Vision. Uh, so that was a, a key factor. I, I contrast that to another um, aid organisation I met up with. I met up with the CEO and CFO of this organisation and, and um, it was a, just a different engagement. It wasn't a relational engagement. It was kind of prove yourself to us and then, you know, with these transactions, and then we'll work out the next thing. So uh, relationship is, is, mm. is key, obviously, with, within your own team and, and, and customers. Mm, great. And from your experience as a supporter of World Vision, mm. what should we never stop doing? I think never stop believing. Like, you guys are amazing. Um, if I understand the largest NGO on the planet, 60-year history, I saw um, things in the field that only an organisation like World Vision can do. Um, so I kind of go, like, you know, back yourselves. Like, um, I, I do martial arts. Um, I'm always scared if you're going to come up against a guy and his nickname is Tiny. Um, <laughs> but, you know, sometimes you meet these big guys and you're like, just back yourself. If you just sat on me, you'd, you'd win. <laughs> um, but you guys are an amazing organisation. You've got so much momentum and strength. Back yourself. Like, and, but, and I would say you, you have to believe. You've got you to gotta believe. 
you've got to have that resolve. And um, it's not that you've got the guarantee of success, but you've got the resolve of the direction that you're going. Um, and just a quick side note, I would say for you guys, success is impossible not to achieve. The model for success is try, fail, readjust, try, fail, readjust, and repeat that process over years and time with mentors and advisors, and success is impossible not to achieve. And I, 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 just, I think you guys have just got an amazing opportunity right now. Thanks, Peter. I agree with you. It's yeah. very exciting. <laughs> That's good um. for the CEO, by the way. It's a good thing. She's a believer. <laughs> <laughs> From your experience and of our support, mm. um, what do we need to do better? What would um, you like to see us do better? I think everyone's got a real self and, I, and a, an ideal self. And um, sometimes we're under, when we're under pressure, we, we say certain things. So when I hear something like, oh, we've got a backlog, and I don't know where I'm going to get back to you on that, that's, I, I kind of, like, if I can, I go, I kind of think that's inexcusable. That would be inexcusable for me to say that to my customer. But you could say something like, hey, thanks for that. Um, our scheduled date for that is in 10 days' time. Completely different way, because how much work you've got on, or backlog you've got, has got nothing to do with your ability to manage your time. So those types of statements are, are, are disappointing. Um, and we, I, I, so I would just, that lane, it, just look at it and go, it's unacceptable to say we've got backlog because that's a real victim statement. Um, I, I'd probably say something else that I would encourage is, um, you know, sometimes I'm, I'm chatting with guys and we might be workshopping something. And um, I want to say, like, lead with vision. Um, so on that art of cutting away, you know, the, what's the, the biblical passage? If you don't have vision, you cast off restraint. And so normally when people think about vision, it's like, what's all the blue sky? Like, but the Bible's putting vision and restraint together. And so you've got to have vision, so you actually need to cut away some things. But you're clear on what you're about. So sometimes when I say someone go, look, we want to know what you want and what, where your passions lie and what you want to do, that makes me nervous. Because I'm going, you're the experts. You're the ones that tell me you do the landscape assessments and you know the needs. I, I don't want to go on my, what I want to do. I want to go on what's effective. So you've done the landscape assessment. You know the needs. Back yourself. This is what we need to work on. Um, so it's not saying that there's not room for discussion around that, but it's not just like, what would you like to do? You know? So I, I, think, um, uh, I think entrepreneurs are going to back, like people, we back people with vision, don't we? This all started on a vision. Someone came up, someone started with a vision, someone said, I like that, they backed, backed that. And over 60 years, as that vision has been continually gone forward, more and more supporters will come. Mm, you can, I wear my heart on my sleeve, I get a no, bit passionate. Awesome. I'm, I'm Chinese, but I act Italian. <laughs> so, uh, Mamma mia. Okay, <coughs> last question. Okay. You, uh, you're, you've become a CEO for a day. You're going to stand in my job for a day. Mm. What would you change or fix, and what would you celebrate? That is tricky. Um, I know. I, I thought that, I'd just that, throw in a hard yeah, question yeah. at the end. CEO for a day. <laughs> well, I'd, I'd put a jacuzzi in the office because it's only a day. But, um, <laughs> or a catwalk. A catwalk. I think catwalk. <laughs> a big mirror. Um, uh, you know, no one person is smarter than the collective thought, and so discretionary effort. Uh, so this whole piece of, like, here's this task ahead, and it's only going to work in a leader-leader culture. 
and uh, a, a leader leader culture has got responsibility of everyone. And, and I say that because we, a couple of years ago, ran this through our organisation. So a leader leader culture means we, we don't bring problems, we bring solutions, or this is the factors and this is what I'm thinking about. Um, you know, there's the scripture passage that calls us to be peacemakers, not peacekeepers. And peacemaking takes honest communication and robust discussion. Peacekeeping means I'll just bite my tongue, but it's false and it, 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 it will cause decay. And so when those robust discussions come about, I would encourage a leader-leader culture and I would, I would encourage this model of understand your I and understand your R. Understand your identity versus your role. So when we're talking about improvements and what we think about, we're talking about our roles and our functions that we need to modify to move forward. But so often we can interpret that as someone talking about uh, our identity. Oh, don't give me any more feedback because now you're saying I'm hopeless. No, I'm not saying you're hopeless. I'm saying how can we pivot? So I, I think um, you know, that, that engagement. So I think it'd be, there'd be something around belief and that you matter. You really do matter. Um, something around leader, leader. Um, and something about like life is just way too short. It's way too short. So a um, bit of identity and role, right? Everyone here's... We're good. We're pa like everyone in this room's passionate. It's not a question about that. So let's just address the role in terms of how do we shape this for the future. Fantastic. Thanks, Peter. Thanks Pleasure. so much for coming. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Thank you. I've been a good um, we've just been so blessed by what yeah. you've shared with us today, and I think drawing us back around your own vision, your own journey, but also drawing us back to. Um, the grace that we are all dependent on in our work and our leadership mm. is something that is deeply encouraging and inspiring mm. for us. Mm. Um, Pete and I, many years ago, we talked about wouldn't it be fun to kind of work together at some <laughs> yeah. point? And um, I'm just so encouraged yeah, and delighted by too. the opportunity. Thank you for your honesty, your openness, mm. um, and in many ways, you, you give us a great um, insight into the life and experience of a supporter, and you challenge us to be the best that we can be. So mm. thanks, and God bless. Thanks, mate. <laughs>